0: Well, we have been in the book of Acts each Sunday morning, but this morning we're going to head in a different direction just for today. We'll pick up in Acts uh, next Sunday, Lord willing. But uh, you, uh, unless you're living under a rock, <laughs> which you might be, you could be, but it's a remarkable time in which to be alive. Uh, history is being made so quickly right now. I. I kind of feel like we're on the edge of a, of a new era. There's so many things happening on the world stage. There's enough happening in our own country, but there's even more going on around the world, and, and uh, it just boggles the mind when you start to just get a grasp of what what's happening out there and how history is changing right before our eyes, and we can kind of get encumbered by all that, uh, by the onslaught of events, uh, trying to process all of those things, and Especially as Christians in in light of the return of Christ, how do we process all of this information and the things that are going on and start to wonder, well, what's life going to be like in the future, you know, and and, and what does this mean for churches in the future, and and so on and, and so forth. And and I was just reminded of Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, Jesus of course gives the Beatitudes and he he goes on to tell the disciples that they'll be persecuted for his sake and uh, that you know, men will hate them, hate them for his sake and all of that, and they'll face opposition. But then he says in verses 13 through 16, he says, "Ye are the salt of the earth, "'but if the salt have lost his savor, "'wherewith shall it be salted? "'It is thenceforth good for nothing, "'but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. "'A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid.' Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What do you do when the ship is sinking? You know, life as we know it is kind of falling apart around us. It doesn't take very much uh, study to figure out that economically, politically, internationally, things are changing, things are happening fast, and it's going to have a lasting effect on the future. It's not just going to be next year, everything will just be the back to the way it always was. When you look around and realize that the signs of the times are increasing, that even, even the lost are looking around going, what in the world is going on? Uh, that it doesn't really change our mission. As Christians, it intensifies it. We have so very little time left, and we look forward to the rapture of the church. But think about it: if if you were on a sinking ship, and you knew that there was a rescue coming, but only the people not wearing a life jacket jacket would be airlifted off the boat, wouldn't you run around the boat and do your best to convince people to stop trusting in those life jackets? would not you run to every compartment and gather your family and make sure everybody understood that only the people that aren't trusting in a life jacket are going to get airlifted off this boat. All the rest of you will drown. Matthew 5 says uh, Christ commands his disciples to be salt and light. Right after telling them that they're going to face opposition, that it's not going to be easy. Uh, Through them the truth will be told. Through them... Lives will be changed. Through them, he says, the gates of hell will literally be pushed back. And I just want us to consider this morning this concept of being salt and light. The mission that we have as believers from Matthew 5 and consider three aspects of it. But before I do that, let me read those verses again because there aren't a very many of them this morning. So we've got the time to do this again. It says in verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. first aspect that I want to consider this morning is that of seasoning. Verse 13, seasoning. Jesus says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. He says, ye are the salt. So that's your first sub-point there, salt. Uh, this is not just the preacher. He says, ye are the salt. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us in general today. It's not just the evangelist. It's not just the Bible scholar. It's not just the preacher or the missionary. This is an all-encompassing concept. Ye are the salt. Uh, Christ was just, he's speaking to the same man that he had just said, uh, you shall henceforth catch men. You shall be fishers of men. He's given us a purpose statement here. Ye are the salt of the earth. This is our purpose. What does it mean to be the salt? Well, salt has many different uses. This is not one that we generally consider today because we just run to the grocery store and and buy what we need, but salt preserves. Uh, Salt was, and still is, used to preserve meats. It wouldn't completely inhibit spoiling, but it would drastically slow it down and allow for a longer shelf life. Take that meat that would go bad in hours and let it be unrefrigerated for weeks. And they would rub salt into the meat to preserve it. Uh, The Christian influence is necessary to stem corruption and wickedness in the world. We're to live our lives in such a way that those around us uh, see that life, see that testimony, and it illuminates Uh, their immorality and their sin, and it slows it down. We're to be the preserving agent in our society. We're to be uh, drastically different, set apart so that we can preserve. We also uh, discover, and you know this one, salt enhances flavor. It enhances flavor. And Christianity takes the blandness of life and adds so much depth and flavor to it. It brings purpose and hope. I don't know about you, but it wasn't until uh, I knew Christ that I realized that my life really mattered, and that through Christ I can have a purpose. Uh, that that through Christ and through what the Bible teaches us, we're not a, a product of chance. Didn't, somebody didn't roll the dice, and here I am, and everything just aligned, and my life is just nothing. No, I I was made on purpose. I was made in the image of God, exactly as He designed me to be, and my life has a purpose in that. I'm God's creation. It changes everything when you discover that not only is there a God, but He made you, and He did it on purpose, and He cares about you. It, It flavors your life. It fulfills your life and brings joy to your life. Life's finally worth something when you have something to live for. I mean, the joy of just feeling special and loved, everybody wants that, and we have that in Christ more abundantly. Uh, We can never be alone. We can never be lost. Uh, We can never be without hope. We know that no matter what comes into our life, God can take those things and work all those things together for our good and use those things to conform us to the image of His Son. It brings fulfillment and hope and joy to life. It provides answers to life's problems the bible explains everything everything uh, we've got the answers to all the hard questions we can understand why is there suffering and pain and death why do good people get killed why, why do things like that happen we can explain that from the scripture and understand that according to the word of god we can comfort the hurt and the heartbroken we can comfort each other we can give the right answers from god's word it flavors our life colossians 4 5 and 6 says walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time let your speech be always see, or with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man salt gives flavor it preserves it also causes thirst an abundance of salt causes the need for water. Have you ever experienced that firsthand? I have. Uh, I have never had a bad meal cooked in my house my whole life. It's never been, uh, since I've been married, it's never been a meal that I could not eat. Didn't have the whole experience that some do or with the newlywed experience where, uh, you know, she's learning as she goes. God gave me a southern woman that can cook. And I show it. Don't I? Some of you are thinking, you will. But anyway, uh, the only time it ever bordered on inevitable or inedible was when Pamela accidentally added too much salt to the black-eyed peas. Now, you all don't understand black-eyed peas. She brought black-eyed peas here one time for a potluck, and I think everybody thought, why are those things looking at me? Everybody passed it by. But they're good normally. And this time, something happened with the salt, and I ate it, but my cup of sweet tea kept getting refilled. Because salt causes thirst. It causes thirst. You should be the agent in the lives of the people around you to stir up a thirst for God. To cause them to wonder and to ask questions. To challenge what they thought was true. The woman at the the well was the prime example of this. She went to the well and she thought all she needed was water. She was doing her daily chores. Uh, She didn't have a faucet in her house to turn on. She had to go to the well frequently to get the water that she needed. She went there just needing physical water. And one encounter with Jesus Christ cause her to discover and realize her need for salvation. Just one encounter with Christ. And encountering us should cause the the lost to have a thirst that they can't quench outside from faith in Jesus Christ. Our lives, our conversations, our habits should be different enough and radical enough to cause people to thirst after Christ. Do people know why it is you are the way that you are? Do people know why it is you're here on Sunday instead of out at the lake enjoying the last bit of summer? Do people know that? Do people understand why Jesus is so important to you and why church is so important to you? Salt causes thirst. It has many different uses, but also salt has to be scattered to be effective. You can't preserve a chunk of meat by sitting a block of salt next to it. You have to rub it in. You have to, it has to be rubbed in as individual grains over a large area. It has to be scattered. Salt doesn't add flavor if it stays in the shaker either. For Christianity to be, to be an effective salt, we have to get out there and season the world around us individually. We have to scatter the gospel. And salt is supposed to be salty. Jesus says that salt that's lost its savor is worthless. If it's not salty, what's it good for? Unsavory food, bland food, can be cured by salt. What can cure bland salt? Nothing. There, There has to be a distinction between the Christian and the world or we've lost our saltiness. Do we have a bland form of Christianity? If there's no standard, if there's no doctrine, if there's no truth, if there's no morality, if there's no love... What do we have left? If there's no message, our faith is supposed to be the obvious feature that affects every aspect of our life. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ that fundamental to your everyday life, that it literally affects everything you do, every decision you make affected by your faith in Christ? How much flavor are you adding to your sphere of influence? And the Christian who lacks his saltiness, Jesus says, will be walked on, trodden under by the feet of men, walked on by society. Those of you that have been to my house know that I live on a dirt road, and things can get kind of dusty because of that. One year, the dust was so bad from the road that, I mean, every time a truck went by on our road, you could just sit in the backyard and watch the cloud come across And it got so bad that year that if you walked through my grass, little puffs of dust would pop up with every footprint. And it's not that bad this year because they do try to prevent that. To to prevent that, the county comes by with trucks and they spray a brine on the road that soaks deep down into the surface, several inches deep, and that brine draws moisture out of the air continually to keep the surface of the road perpetually damp, and keep it from getting dusty. We still throw salt in the road today, and I drive on it every day without even thinking about it. I don't notice it. Is that really the legacy you want to leave for Christ? To be a roadbed Christian? Unnoticed? A walkway? A doormat? Having no impact at all? lost its savor and trodden under the feet of men. Just blending in, no impact, making no difference. Not only must we be the seasoning, the salt to the world around us, Jesus also says we should be shining as a light. He gives the illustration of salt, then he says you should be shining. He says in verse 14, ye are the light of the world, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What does light do? Jesus uses the picture of a light. He already talked about salt. Well, the first thing, light is illuminating. Light reveals things in the darkness. Light reveals things in the darkness. We should be illuminating the world around us, sharing truth with the world around us. Light allows us to function in the darkness. If you're a night owl, you probably wouldn't be if we didn't have electricity. If light was harder to come by, it'd be difficult to be a night owl. The truth that we hold on to helps us navigate and function in the darkness of the world. If you don't have lights in your home, you can't really function at night. If you don't have the light of the truth of God's Word, you don't know how to navigate and function in this world. Thy Word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Oftentimes, it's our attitude in the toughest and darkest times of our life that shines the brightest to the lost around us. How in the world... Can you cope with what you're going through right now and still have a smile on your face? How in the world are you dealing with this situation the way you are? That's the kind of questions you get from the lost world. They can't understand that. They, don't, they can't compute. How, you just lost somebody dear to you, and yet it doesn't seem to have affected your attitude or your outlook at all. You're not in despair. You're not uh, overly discouraged. You're just the same all the time, consistent. How in the world... Because we have the light of the gospel. Light reveals danger. Reveals danger. We find safety and comfort in the revealing power of light. I appreciate high beams. When I head home at night, it's the time of year when you just never know what's going to hop out of the cornfield. I appreciate high beams because the flashes of the retinas of those deer give them away in time for me to see the danger. Light reveals danger. Like a lighthouse on a rocky shoal, the light of our faith warns others of the penalty of sin and its danger. We're to be those lighthouses. We went up north recently. We went to the Mackinac Lighthouse. And it ran uh, all the way up until the 1950s. And those of you that have been around a while know why it stopped running in the 1950s. In the 1950s, they constructed the Mackinac Bridge. And if you've ever been in Mackinac at night, you see all the lights on that bridge. Those lights are over 500 feet in the air. And they make a little lighthouse that's only 30 feet tall, kind of obsolete. Our lives are supposed to be shining brightly. A city on a hill, a candle in a dark place. Our lives and testimonies expose the sin of the world. The message that we have confronts the world. John 3.19 says, This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Are we shining the light? Light is illuminating. Light is also guiding. It directs people. It directs people. If you've ever been in a long tunnel, the light at the end shows you the way out as long as it's not a train, right? It directs people. The lights on the runway show the pilots the correct approach with which to take. The lights on the street corner tell the traffic which way to flow. Our light should point people to Christ. We shine and reveal the source of our light is Jesus Christ. We bring the world to the right path. We point them to Christ. The purpose of the church is to direct the world to Christ. Churches in the book of Revelation are described as candlesticks. Pastors in the book of Revelation are described as stars. Here, Jesus describes his disciples as lights. We are the only source of light in this dark world, and we should be shining brightly. Ephesians 5 8 says, Ye are sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Philippians 2.15 says, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. We're to be guiding, illuminating. We're also to be eye-catching. He uses the illustration of a city on a hill. Okay, think about this in Jesus' day. Think about this in Jesus' day. They didn't have... uh, infrastructure where, like we have today where there's literally street lights all the way out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have billboards lit up on the side of the road everywhere. A city on a hill was the only source of light for miles around. It doesn't get much more obvious or conspicuous than that. We should be shining so brightly that it gives us a way. We should be conspicuous as Christians in the world. Light stands out in darkness. No matter how dark it gets, light never blends in. Researchers believe that without obstructions, a person with healthy but just average vision could see the flame of a single candle from as far as 1.6 miles If the earth didn't curve and you were higher up, you might be able to identify it from dozens, maybe hundreds of miles away. Light stands out. It's conspicuous. No one hides their light. Lights are set out so they'll have the maximum effect. Uh, A source of light is intended to benefit the largest amount of area, the biggest uh, group of people as possible. We want that light to fill the room. A light that is covered is a light that's not fulfilling its purpose. I mean, fathers understand this. Why are all the lights on? Nobody's in here. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Nobody needs it there. A light that's covered is not doing what it should. We try to hide our light. In light, uh, You start reading the news and you think, man, I just want to take my family out to a, uh, somewhere out in the field somewhere, hundreds of acres, just get my little house Homeschool my kids, live our life, and wait till Jesus comes. That's not conspicuous or shining as a light. That's hiding your light. We don't want to offend. We don't want to make waves. We don't want to attract attention. We don't want to draw ridicule. But if we cover our light, we aren't fulfilling our purpose. It should be our goal to shine to the most people as possible, to affect the largest area possible. Like a city on a hill. We should be seasoning our world. We should be shining in our world. But the purpose of all of it is that we should be showing our world Jesus Christ. Showing our world Christ. He says in verse 16, Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want you to understand, first of all, we're commanded to shine. Jesus isn't offering suggestions here. This is a command. This is a command. Shining our light is a mandate He expects us to fulfill even when it's not convenient. uh, Even when it's not comfortable or safe to do so. There's no caveats here. There's no conditions. This is an order from the Supreme Commander to His soldiers. He doesn't call us to be stealthy. He calls us to shine. We're commanded to shine. He says, so shine like that city on a hill. So shine like that lamp on a lampstand. So shine like that beacon in the darkness. This is Jesus saying, you should be conspicuous. You should be standing out. You should be obvious that it's, you're a Christian. We need to avoid allowing our light to flicker when man's opinion is contrary to our own. When we face ridicule or scorn or opposition, refuse to allow your light to flicker, we're supposed to shine brightly, consistently, constantly. So shine. And then we're also to show our shine. You have to be aware of our audience. The whole world is watching us live our lives. They want to see if Christianity or what we claim is just another empty religion, or if there's really something to it. First Peter 2.12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Does your life confirm your message? Does your life confirm your message? You may have heard me tell this story before. But at the 100th anniversary of the arrival of missionaries in Zaire, Christians gathered to celebrate from that part of Zaire that was once called the Belgian Congo. At the end of the celebration, a very old man got up to speak. He said he had a story to tell that no other man still alive knew. And he explained that when the first white missionaries came, his people didn't know whether uh, to believe them or not to believe this message they were preaching or not. So they came up with a plan to slowly and secretly poison the missionaries and watch them die. And one by one, children and adults became ill, died, and were buried. And it was when his people saw how they died that they decided to believe their message. The missionaries had no idea what was happening. They had no idea why they were getting sick. They didn't know they were being poisoned. They didn't know why they were dying one by one, but their faithfulness to the Lord convinced the people that they were ministering to that their their message was true. Their death confirmed their message. Their life confirmed their message. Does yours. And then understand that the source of your shine, the source of your shine, we're to live in such a way that our lives bring glory to God. Okay, that's the key difference. That's the key difference between biblical Christianity and any other religion because any other religion or cult lives to make yourself something, to better yourself, to clean up yourself, to climb up a ladder yourself. Our lives as Christians are we're to do all to please our Lord and Savior, to bring glory to God. It's not us, it's Him. They not only see the light in our life, they should see the source of that life, that light. It's Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. I read that and thought, man, how much closer is it now? (laughs) Was at hand then, how close are we now? Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything we do, no matter what we, no matter what that is, we do it. For Christ. So that we're consistently, constantly pointing men to Jesus Christ. You know, Christians were called Christians because they resembled Christ. We're not the solution. We're not the answer. We're not perfect. We don't have it all together, but Christ, our Savior and our Lord is the answer that men need. He is perfect. He does have all the answers. He can provide everything they ever need. They need to understand the source. And you need to know him well yourself. And then there's the reason to shine. That all men might glorify the Father. This desire should drive us. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people come to Christ. It's the reason we're here. That's why there's a church. Christ said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. This is God's purpose, that we should go and spread his message. Philippians 2.15 says that we should be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation in the world. What, What should it do when you're keeping your finger on the pulse of the world and you're seeing all these things happening and you're wondering what's coming next and, and, and it just seems like, boy, it just seems like things are falling into place and getting scarier all the time and it getting, the world is getting more wicked and, and, and radicals are getting more radical and, and on and on and on it goes. should drive you to consider are you making any difference at all? you woke up in the middle of the night and your house was on fire, you'd run around searching every room. Crying out loud, many of you would look for your cats and your dogs, (laughs) let alone your children and family members. Christians, if you look around and you think, this world is on fire. It's going nuts. It's not the time to just, even so, come Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the comfort and the hope that that brings. I hope that you can have that confidence. But that's an immoral way to look at it. We we would despise a man. That did nothing to save his family. That did nothing to help those that were in need and just got himself out clean. And yet, do we do the same thing as Christians? There are so many things that I could share with you that would make you realize, wow. We are literally one step, one step away from everything in the book of Revelation being possible. Everything. And as Christians, we understand that nothing prevents Christ from calling us home right now, today. As just human beings, we understand that we're not guaranteed one more minute. This week, that little uh, one-year-old boy that just passed away in his sleep, it's his birthday this week. Wasn't guaranteed one more minute. We could tell story after story of peers, my peers, that are with the Lord. And I'm only 35. Now, one more minute. If we were given warning, if Christ said, listen, tomorrow's the day, what would we do? Pick up the phone, get in the car, get some things right? We don't have any warning. All we have is looking at the world around us and realize he literally could be back any second. And the ship is sinking. Are we being salt and light? Are we giving people any hope, any reason to trust Christ? Because the reality is this. As wonderful as it is that we have the hope of heaven and an eternity with Jesus Christ, it's a two-edged sword because the minute he calls me home, I'm out of opportunities. can't pick up the phone on my way up and say, but but wait, let me call so-and-so. The minute he calls us home, everyone else in our life is out of opportunities. We, don't, we can't reach them ever again. And if you don't know Christ, if you see him when he comes back, you'll see him as judge. And at that point, there'll be no second chances. Is there a lack of urgency in your life up until this point? I'm preaching to myself. How much time do you suppose we have left until Jesus calls us home? I mean, even lost people are looking around going, what in the world is wrong with the world? What in the world is going on? How much time, doesn't it seem, think about it like this, okay? Doesn't it seem like we are drastically closer to that day than we were in 2019? Two years ago. Doesn't it seem we are drastically closer in just two years? I need to do more. We need to do more. A city that's on a hill cannot be hid. Are you reaching out to those around you with the gospel? Are you making any impact at all? Are you using these opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus Christ? Uh, are you giving to the church, to the missions fund, and supporting the work of the ministry so that with the time we have left, we can reach these other places? Are you praying that God would use this church to reach people he's called us to reach, that the, the postcards that go out, that the tracks that we give out would have an impact because there's so very little time left to make a difference for Christ? We need to be a people of persistent, passionate, serious prayer, Think about the early church. They existed in Rome, a corrupt and wicked society. If you study Rome, you would be appalled. It was nasty. They had far less resources available to them than we do today. And yet, the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved, And they were accused in Acts chapter 17 of turning the world upside down just by sharing the message of the gospel. We've got the same message. We serve the same Savior. What's slowing us down? How much impact are we really having on the people around us? You can just ask yourself one question. Am I salty? Am I shining like a light? Am I making an impact in the world around me for Jesus Christ? Because Christ said, so shine. To shine forth as a light in this world so that people see it. There may come a day closer than we think that we'll have to choose between being an obvious Christian or staying alive. Or feeding our families? Who knows? But Christ doesn't make any caveats for that. He says, so shine. So shine. Are you shining now? Are you making an impact now? How much time do you really think you have left? Are you sure now, today, that if if today were the end of the world, if you know exactly what's next, For you. How much time do you have left? I don't know. I don't know. It is possible. Things could go back and be better and everything could be the way it was. It's possible. It's not likely. But it's possible. But as we see these things happening, how much time do you think we really have left? Do you think we're closer now than we were two years ago? Do you think it's more urgent now than ever? And has it changed your approach at all?